Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back. Or if you're new to the Green Thoughts program, welcome. I have a few different environmental announcements that I want to briefly talk about, and there's only a few. So be sure to mark your calendars and look at your calendar for these dates. The first is Sustainability Day, which usually occurs on the fourth Wednesday in October. And uh, next is the International Snow Leopard Day, which is October the 23rd. And then UN Day, which is held annually every single year on October the 24th, just the day after the uh, October 23rd date. Headlines from the Hemispheres is where I talk about all types of different environmental news all across the globe. So no matter the country or the different hemisphere of which the country is in, I'm going to be talking about the news and I talk about specifically three different headlines, give or take. So with the first headline, it is out of Australia and happens to do with sharks and climate change. So sharks have killed seven people in Australia uh, this year, uh, the most since uh, 1934. Climate change could be a factor, and I found this on InsideClimateNews.com, and it was originally published on CNN.com. So the referencing in the article uh, 2020 of the year for having a number of uh, shark attacks and killing people. So yes, this story comes out of Australia, and even years before, like prior to 2019 and before that, shark attacks were a growing phenomenon, but they weren't out of the ordinary. Like Australia has shark attacks. They know this. They live, uh, you know, on the water, essentially. You know, there's a ton of space around Australia, but there's all these coastal cities and areas, and so they know that sharks, you know, are a part of the culture and just the life living out in Australia. And so uh, what's been happening is that attack uh, deaths and and deaths from attacks, they've been about, you know, one or two at the most, um, you know, every so often. And then in 1934, that was one of the last times that Australia even had uh, seven uh, shark attack deaths. So that is, you know, out of the ordinary for these deaths to be on the uh, incline and on the increase. In October 2020 is when there was at the most seven deadly uh, attacks, is probably more, um, in all types of different parts of Australia. So there was there were attacks in Northwest Island, Fraser Island, Greenmount Beach, uh, Kingscliff, uh, Woolly Beach, Coal Island, and Esperance. So there have been attacks all across Australia. And the difference is, again, in the death rate, not the fact that there have been shark attacks. Now, what's the culprit? What's the the reason behind this uptick? Well, it's the climate. Oceans are heating up. We know this. Our entire ecosystems are being destroyed or having to adapt. And fish are, uh, they are also having to do the same. And they're migrating to different parts that they haven't gone to before just to feed and breed. And other species are doing the same. And in this this chain reaction, sharks are uh, following their prey, the fish, and having to move closer to shores in uh, places where there are humans in, in, in wide abundance and where it's popular for humans to pop up, you know, namely beaches. 
So uh, there are many factors that have, have affected Australia's climate in particular. We've seen with intense bushfires and extreme heat waves and drought, of course, which has both, both uh, devastated uh, animals and us humans. And sharks have been suffering too. And namely, again, by traveling further inward uh, towards uh, warmer uh, waters and just getting closer to us humans, which we definitely do not want. Uh, the next headline is about a dangerous African volcano uh, in um, this science magazine. So Lava Lake rises at dangerous African volcano and science magazine, uh, which is an online uh, publication. I think they have uh, physical copies too. They're online. So this volcano news is out of the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and all started uh, back in 2002 when it was the last time that near Gongo, a volcano had erupted. This is in a bustling city of Goma. It's right situated smack dab on uh, the border of the DRC and Rwanda. And a quarter of a thousand people died. So about 250 people died. And 20% of the city was destroyed. And hundreds of thousands had to leave um, because, of course, their city was just destroyed um, to a you know horrendous point. But recently, there has been a, a campaign uh, in letting folks know about the volcano's um, ability to erupt again because it's just ripe. Um, scientists are saying to erupt again. And so they were looking at the uh, crater of the volcano and the lava lake filling to a point that's pretty alarming. And they want to try and raise um, awareness the, about the risk of this particular uh, volcano um, spouting out all types of molten rock and bursting through crater walls like it did before. And then lastly is th this piece out of Pakistan and about a foiled attempt at a smuggling um, endeavor. So Pakistan foils attempt to smuggle endangered falcons and fizz.org had this story um, again, phys as in physical work or study of physics. Not a lot of people um, can distinguish that over um, recording, I guess, because phys could be like fizzy pop or something else. So I try to always uh, make that distinction. So yes, this is great news because out of Pakistan, they sort of squashed these uh, wildlife tra traffickers in uh, where they stood. So there's been uh, trafficking of all types of animals. We all know that, know that this happens all across the world. But in Pakistan, they thwarted the attempts of the traffickers to try and catch uh, falcons in the northernmost point in Pakistan. And the traffickers were trying to sell them for lucrative profits uh, within the Gulf region. So the customs officials, they seized 75 falcons and a, a Hobara a bustard uh, in the port city of uh, Karachi. And the Hobara bustard is a desert bird and it's got some uh, luscious meat, which is in high esteem among Arab sheiks. And it's said to be an aphrodisiac. The senior customs officer did not identify um, all the different particular types of species of birds, but estimated that their value would be around 200 million rupees or over $1 million in the black market. And authorities have arrested two different suspects and plan to release the birds into the wild. So in this podcast episode, we're going to talk about hunger, world hunger, how livestock impacts millions, if not billions of people all across the world, and how our global population is going to change and how we're supposed to feed uh, all the people that are supposed to be uh, on our planet in a number of different decades later in the future. Um, DW.com is a source for the news we're going to talk about. It's a great German website. They have all types of documentaries, their own YouTube channel, and they have another one that specifically deals with uh, smaller issues, very bite-sized, really great. I love it. 
Um, and I've checked out a number of their different videos, and I do love their documentary series that they do. And I wanted to uh, look into this episode because I have done some episodes, uh, a few different episodes about food, actually. Um, some about um, issues uh, revolving around population and hunger and how we're supposed to feed uh, so many people. And I wanted to bring uh, more statistics and some solutions about what we can do because I know that we can all do something um, but it's going to take a lot of us to sort of come together on this and we're going to have to really figure out like what do we need to meet our survival needs and and to figure out how we're going to feed our uh, growing population Um, do you know only some people need meat and others do not because there are some populations of of our planet who you know they mostly survive on meat um, and then, uh, what are we going to do about our 9 billion, uh, population figure in 2050? There are so many other questions we have, um, you know, to grapple with and to ask ourselves and to, you know, ask the experts and others. So I wanted to, um, uh, form a, a, uh, sort of, um, great information base for us to look at and to just ask ourselves questions, but also think about what does it look like uh, for you or your grandchildren or uh, those you care about in the future of food? Like, will you start growing your own food? Have you even thought about that? Or will you rely on grocery stores or just, you know, switch your lifestyle um, entirely? Uh, these are things to ask yourself. I ask myself these questions all the time, um, especially in what I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But we're going to look at what to do about our hungry world. All the people uh, who are looking to um, maybe change their, their ways of eating, um, you know, uh, decrease their emissions. Maybe they have farms that have uh, a lot of um, livestock on them. All types of different um, considerations and things. Maybe they want to switch up um, industries or just concentrate on uh, lowering emissions to a point. Um, we're going to talk about so many different things here. So I want to first start off with that uh, environmental researchers have long since uh, touted the benefits of eating less meat, animal products, uh, all these things improve the health of us people and the health of our planet. This is um, uh, true and this makes a lot of sense. We've, we've heard this throughout the years that, you know, we as people should cut back on our ability to depend on animals. Um, and there's also the direct and indirect emissions of livestock, um, you know, sheep, pig, poultry, goats, you name it. They have uh, uh, been responsible for about 7.1 gigatons of carbon dioxide every single year. That's roughly 14.5% of what all uh, human-caused emissions uh, have has been pushed into the atmosphere. Now, according to estimates from the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, they do point out that 65% of the sector's emissions, the agricultural sector's emissions, have uh, and can be linked to cattle specifically in the form of beef and dairy production. So this means that it's a problem for those who are in the animal husbandry um, field, uh, which dominates a huge chunk of agricultural land. 75% of agricultural land is devoted to uh, animal husbandry and it, it pollutes our waterways. It drives deforestation. We can see that in the Amazon rainforest. I've talked about the Amazon rainforest a few different times in the past and in some podcast episodes. But we're going to look at also why do some people still need meat? What uh, is a driving force? Maybe what is in their life specifically that's maybe not in the life of of us here in, in the U.S. and in America or in other parts of the world that drive specific people um, to needing meat or consuming more meat than others. Well, in Europe, they do it quite differently. For example, they consume twice as much meat as the global average and roughly three times as much dairy. So they love their meat and they love their dairy. Now, more than 1.5 billion people around the world, they can't afford a diet that meets or requires and has essential nutrients without getting uh, meat content. So animals, they provide that vital source for uh, the the forms of uh, meat, um, you know, 
cheese, all types of dairy, milk, uh, eggs, these protein sources and others, they are essential for the 1.5 billion people who don't have um, sufficient uh, crops or other types of nutrients to uh, get their daily intake of nutrients. Livestock um, are... uh, They are a source for millions of farm workers and uh, small businesses and pastoralists and nomads who make a living and have access to land of which to use the livestock on to till the land, to grow crops, to, you know, pass on to their um, offspring, you know, their sons, their daughters, and then keep the land um, uh, flowing and in generations they take care of the lands that's what they have to live off of if they didn't have the animals they would have a much harder time taking care of the land and next briefly i want to get to some recent hunger statistics so we can look at the picture of hunger on a global scale a bit more in depth So the Global Hunger Index has revealed recently that 690 million people around the world, they face chronic hunger uh, back in the year 2019. This is when that statistic was first released. And the FAO had projected that the number would grow uh, to an extreme level at 840 million people over the next 10 years. The Suarez 2030 project, they did an in-depth survey and they did this of more than 100,000 agricultural reports and articles. They looked at all of these. It's a huge, uh, massive scale. They looked at all these uh, articles, reports published in the past 20 years, and they found that it would take an additional $330 billion dollars that's in U.S. dollars, or 282 billion uh, euros to reach uh, the U.N. Sustainable Development Goal to, quote, end all forms of hunger and malnutrition by 2030, end quote. Now, the report also went about talking about it would need to reach international donors and providing about $14 per year with lower and middle-income countries making up the difference with an annual $19 billion per year. I'm not sure how that would happen, especially if they're lower and middle-income countries, but that's another story entirely. And that, um, not surprisingly, women, us women, we, we, we make up um, two-thirds or 66% of livestock uh, keepers in in places that are lower or middle-income countries, and uh, women are in general more likely to experience food insecurity. Now, I want to leave you uh, with a notable quotable before we move on to the next segment. So, quote, If people are serious about achieving this goal of ending hunger, protecting the climate, and improving the incomes of the world's poorest producers, then everybody is going to need to contribute. It's definitely not going to happen just with the traditional G7 donors, end quote. And that quote was said from Karen Smaller, Director of Agriculture, Trade, and Investment at the International Institute for Sustainable Development, or the IISD. There are many pieces to the world hunger and food insecurity puzzle that um, I'm really um I am glad that the information I was reading and researching, they put together so many different parts to it. The uh, farmers that are, you know, at the mercy of either either having livestock or not having livestock to sustain themselves, consumers or those who are willing to buy the products or the goods from the farmers, the, you know, companies that make huge scales of uh, our agricultural uh, foods, you know, our produce, you know, meat products, so many different things are intertwined uh, in this puzzle of world hunger and no puzzle piece uh, can do without the other. Um, you know, there's food is such a, um, a dominant part of life. How is it going to um, impact this later on? We need to think about this on a mass scale and continue uh, to look at this. And I'm not just saying that for the consumers out there, for those who maybe even grow their own food or vegetables. Like we need to be looking at this on how we're supposed to sustain uh, feeding, uh, you know, 50 billion people 
uh, or uh, I'm sorry, 9 billion people in 2050. That's right. 2050, 9 billion people, not 50, million, 50 billion people. That would be a headache. But that's a lot of mouths to feed. And um, in the um, Ceres 2030 report, I could not find the actual report. I, I saw previews of a few pages, but somehow it's conveniently not on the page anymore. And it's a collaboration between the IISD, the International um, Food Research Policy Institute, to the IF. Um, PRI, and also Cornell University here in the U.S. And it, it talks about the connection between uh, livestock, livelihood, and the land um, of which to grow everything. And I could not find it on the page. Somehow it was just wiped off. The English version was wiped off. The French, German version, I think there was a Dutch version. They're all conveniently not available on the page anymore. So even if, even if you want to try and find the report, you can try to find it, but I looked on all the official sites, and I guess they just don't want the solutions of their research out in the public anymore. I'm not sure why, but this is fresh information, and we need that. This would have been vital for me to share because I would have put it uh, in the show notes for all of you to check out. You know, it's like a lengthy uh, report page um, as far as what I could gather, but it's just that kind of that kind of stuff uh, grinds my gears. It irritates me because you want you want people to to get on board with solving the climate crisis, with solving world hunger, so many other economic and and food policy and food security um, issues. But yet you don't make the information publicly available, or at least for a time when people can download it themselves. You know this information is, is supposed to be free. And it's it's researched, you know, to a T. And I'm just, I was just upset that the report wasn't available because I wanted to share it all with you all. And I, I do that whenever I find, you know, the good report or resources or something that I know is in PDF form, I widely and, uh, you know, excitedly share it. Um, so that just, it really just grinded my gears. I wasn't able to find the report, but... At least I get to talk about the statistics um, from the FAO, so I'm happy about that. Um, I know that uh, there are so many people who are impacted already. Farmers um, are impacted, like I've said, consumers, supermarkets, corporations, just world agriculture um, as a whole. There are countries that um, they need, uh, or from their point of view, they have put so much time and energy and money and funding and millions, if not billions of dollars behind their livestock, what's going to happen if they don't have that livestock? You know, Brazil, for example, their economy, you can tell in the food, in the in the land that they're exploiting and in the deforestation that they're causing in the Amazon, it's it's of, um, of their interest to stay uh, with agriculture. Um, and with livestock, but it's not fair. Should it change? Yes. Will it change? Maybe. Um, but we also have to uh, provide uh, disincentives and laws and policy and uh, um, repercussions for, you know, still investing money in the beef and cattle industry in Brazil. Sure, I'd be fine with never going to a Fogo de Chao um, restaurant ever again in life, but others, will they do so? Probably not. If they're big on eating meat or if they're, if they're Portuguese and they speak, you know, Portuguese, if they're, you know, Brazilian, um, then, you know, they're probably going to have a stronger tie to a Fogo de Chao restaurant, which for those who may not know, um, they're popular restaurants in the DMV in the district of Columbia, uh, Maryland and Virginia, and it's a um, restaurant where it's uh, mainly um, uh, t- tableside served meat. And I've, I've talked about them before, I think in one of the uh, podcast episodes I did about Brazil, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I did love the experience. Uh, would I go on there to that restaurant on the regular? No. Um, and, and now that I, I don't even eat uh, regular beef on the, on the regular. I don't eat sheep or goat or, um, anything on the regular like that. So I'm, I'm not opposed to having it removed from my life. I've, I've talked about, um, you know, many of my food experiences and, 
um, that I've, I was a pescatarian for like two years. I loved it. It was great for me. If I could wean myself off to the point where I'm mostly vegetarian and 25% or so, um, um, uh, pescatarian, I'd be, I'd be totally happy with that, but I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but yes, there are so many other countries that have built, um, themselves, uh, up and, and need agriculture to survive. India, for example, you know, Mexico with its different industries, Vietnam, other places they need, um, and have, you know, farmers in a large scale and, and they need, um, to farm. And if livestock is a part of that equation for them, then they're going to, um, use animals, um, to the extent that they can. And if it's, uh, uh, financially or economically viable to continue to do so. For um, for Greener Thoughts, for my podcast here, I think all of us here in the Greener Thoughts community should know that the goal is to just always slowly wean away from the things that we know are most harmful, harmful or most destructive to us, whether that be plastic use, like single um, plastic single bag or single use plastics, um, or fossil fuel use, or even meat protein, whatever it is. I I try to, um, cultivate and create podcast episodes where we can talk about the issue and then solutions that are pretty simple or applicable in some way, no matter if you're a consumer or a parent or someone who is in school or someone who travels a lot for work. Or if you are new to the environmental movement or anything like that, um, you know, our goal simply uh, is to think about uh, all the impacts that we're making uh, to the planet and then to slowly wean away, slowly but surely, to make sure that we're not uh, using plastics or buying plastics. Like, that's great. Like with me, for example, um, and, uh, you know, bar soaps. I love bar soaps. That means I'm not going back to... Uh, you know, body wash, um, or soaps like that. Um, and, um, other things too, whether I mean shampoo as well, I'm trying uh, bar shampoo. I recently just bought some on Etsy. I can't wait. And, you know, I bought, um, uh, a number of mini soaps, like a tr- pack of like 16 for like 30 something dollars, which isn't bad. Like, and that soap will last me a long time because I have uh, super short hair. I have a buzz cut. You know, it is, um, you know, a style that I maintain and I love it. You know, it's, it's great for me, get tons of compliments, all that, but it's, it's great because I figured out, okay, bar soap lasts for a long time. Usually a bar or two bars for the month, you're good. So, you know, buy that for the year and you save money and time and you don't have to buy anything else, um, regarding, um, uh, body wash or anything like that. Just bar soap, just maintain um, next, I want to, you know, briefly touch on the fact that, um, you know, diet-related diseases for us humans, we get um, diagnosed with those, but I kind of believe that it's a sort of revenge, you know, for all the dead animals that we've killed to to eat, you know, all the torture and stress and death that these animals have gone through just to become someone's meal. You know, just think about it. You know, I I think I talked about this um, in another podcast episode not too long ago about food. But all the processed food that um, animals have been to a degree or even that we haven't eaten yet, uh, on a massive scale, all those um, uh, stressors and panic and everything that has been a part of those lives of those animals, we are eating those animals. And then we're turning around and getting diagnosed with cancers and all types of, uh, you know, disorders that we have uh, from eating uh, some uh, animals that we we don't have to eat in mass. We don't have to eat these foods to survive. Um, maybe a little bit, but at the same time, you know, I'd love to see the day when, when we don't have to kill a cow for its meat. Like, it's okay for the cow to live 20, 30 years or however long it's supposed to live. They live on average a long time, not 40, 50, 60 years, but cows live, you know, 20 to 10 to 20 year lifespan. Um, so we're cutting that down by a large number. And I'm saying that maybe we should, um, check, you know, our individual plates and our diets and, 
you know, not try and reprimand each other and say, well, you should eat this or you should eat that, but just realize that, you know, maybe, and, and it is connected, our diets are connected to us people. Um, and a lot of diseases, um, especially those who are un- unhealthy with their diets, lifestyle changes, um, they're seeing upticks in many diseases that can be prevented all because of diet. Um, I, I have um, been a proponent of, um, you know, fasting. Fasting is great. I love fasting. I have a whole podcast episode on it. I do it again in a heartbeat. It's really great. And you can do it for religious reasons or non-religious reasons. Um, but for me, I do and will be uh, transitioning to being uh, mostly vegetarian and only a little bit pescatarian um, in the years to come. Like, I'm saying that as though as though um, I probably live a long time, which I, you know, God willing, do live a long time. But um, um, I think just looking at your diet and what it means to you and what foods you can live without, you can decide just off willpower and discipline. Um, what foods you can live without and what foods maybe you can't. If you haven't been in, introduced to quinoa, it's okay. Eat quinoa. Quinoa is a clean food. It's a great food. Um, it's super tasty. And, you know, other foods, vegetables, like, um, you know, all these different foods I've talked about in another podcast episode or, or um, another one. But I just, I just want anyone who's listening to be aware that, you have a lot of power in your fork. You have a lot of power in what you choose to eat, how you choose to live your life, and what food is going to look like for you in the future. You know, maybe you will have more options of uh, green foods, of produce, and vegetables uh, versus meat. Because, you know, the world, we're going to have to slaughter so many animals just to feed uh, the 9 billion uh, people uh, slated to. Uh, be around in 2050, and that's not responsible. We don't need to be killing billions, be killing billions of animals just to feed you know nine billion people. I it'd be okay if I never ate meat again. It'd be fine. Maybe I could live with that. Like it's okay. It's just food, and I can get other options of food. But there are people in this world who will die um, before they. Uh, forsake or don't eat meat. And that's devastating. That's that's a really um, uh, shameful, but also it's their choice. And I guess we all have to understand that. But it's just, especially here in the U.S., we don't, we shouldn't have to be, you know, clawing at somebody or trying to persuade them to the grave um, that they should give up meat. But there are some diehard vegans out there. There's some diehard carnivores out there who mostly eat meat, you know, may eat vegetables or so. And then there are people who hate vegetables. So it's like, it's almost like you can't win. No matter what people decide, you can try to convince them. You can give them the facts. You can, you know, give them your story. And they're going to pick and choose. It's just whether you um, pick and choose for yourself, you know, whether you want to live a more um, healthier lifestyle and include, you know, uh, exercise and water and all types of other things too, or succumb to the diseases in the the life path of, um, you know, not healthy eating. Um, I want to talk about lastly snacks because I do love snacks and eating them. Um, that Brahmi, for example, is a brand I love. Their um, lupini beans. I never heard of this prior to 2019, but uh, I bought them first in 2019 and then in late 2020 and their food is keto friendly. I did a whole review on it in the Eco Company Spotlight segment. It's in episode 55, which is the superfoods to the rescue, 11 berries to boost your health episode and if you want to try you know eating a, a snack that's really healthy um, I suggest eating this I have talked a little bit about different snacks in the eco company spotlight segments I've done in various episodes but for me this brings back good memories I love that episode because I love berries and I talked about my favorite foods and all, all types of other health tips but for those who are curious about lupini beans there's even dips associated with it and the fermented food itself or love briny foods or uh, foods with herbs or healthier or trying to stay lean, check it out and you will not be disappointed. 
Mother Earth Minutes is where I review in the next few minutes for active things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and protect Mother Earth. Um, I'm simply going to discuss a unique fact from a World Wildlife Fund report, WWF, and then get to the tips. So a 2018 WWF report said cutting animal products from diets would be a, quote, relatively easy and cheap way, end quote, to fight climate change. A study by the University of Michigan found that Beyond Burger generates 90% less greenhouse gas emissions, requires 46% less energy to produce, and has far less of an impact on water scarcity and land use than a beef patty. So, uh, with that, those are great uh, statistics and measurements to look at. I've, I've talked about the benefits of Beyond Beef. I've eaten Beyond uh, Beef patties. They're amazing. It's insane the, f- the amount of food science and technology that we've, we've surpassed and, and, and elevated to in the past 40, 50 years. Um, to the fact that you're using... Um, you know, proteins and and animal-like substances, but it's not anywhere near close to, you know, eating an animal. But um, the taste is there. The consistency is, like, there. But you're not eating beef. It's remarkably um, ingenious, and it's flying off the shelves. And you have um, other restaurants, uh, other brands, Burger King, McDonald's, and others trying to get in on... Uh, the craze, and rightfully so, you know, they're going to the corporations, they're in it for the money, but also they're seeing where the audience is, and people are uh, shifting uh, to getting burgers and other types of food that aren't, that isn't meat, that will not be meat, but it's healthier, and I'm all for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, Um, and I'm going to talk about some of my uh, podcast episodes that are great um, and explain all that I talked about. There's a lot that I've talked about in all those other episodes, so I'll get to those a little bit later um, in the Mother Earth Minutes. But I want us to first get to um, some of the tips in the uh, news that I uh, talked about that um, some of these may be applicable to like farmers or those who graze, but also you know others in the animal health industry and, and others. But one of the first tips is that we can make use of our crop residues. So these are great for anyone who gardens or is a large-scale or even smaller farmer, you know, making use of the crop um, parts that you don't, you know, really want to sell or can't really sell. Your stems, leaves, corn husks, roots, and seeds. These are great for feeding animals. These reduce the need for purchase feed. Maybe you want to, um, you know, have a uh, mix of, um, you know, feed that you want to fix for the pigs, which is anything that, you know, you get from the kitchen table or just um, uh, parts of your crop that maybe won't make it to market. You know, pigs will eat essentially anything, including uh, other pigs and or humans. Pigs are ferocious, but they will eat uh, many things. So yeah, maybe you will um, use crop residues to offset the cost of the feed that you'll have to purchase because we all know the feed is expensive. Uh, maintaining livestock is expensive. You know, hauling their waste away is expensive. Um, their medications and uh, things that they will need to prevent getting sick and spreading disease amongst uh, other livestock is expensive. You know, farmers... They make X amount of dollars, and that could vary, you know, between, you know, seasons and every year. Um, but their their um, farmhouses, those are in the quarter and half a million dollar purchases. So they have to, you know, see where, where costs are and make adjustments. And one of the ways that they can do that is by reducing uh, the need to, to buy outside feed. So make use of the, pro- the product, the, the crop that you have is one of the best solutions to um, stem uh, hunger, especially when feeding animals, because animals need to eat too. And if they're dependent on you to feed them, then feed them the best. Feed them crops, not manufactured uh, foods that will bulk them up, but are nutritionally deficient and are costly. A number two tip is to manage grazing lands to increase the quality of vegetation that animals eat. 
and also at the same time create potential carbon sinks. So looking at all the ways that you can up your grazing land. Maybe you want to uh, increase the quality of the vegetation such that you never have an off year or that you're never uh, going to compost or dump any of your crop because all of it's sustainable. All of it is able to be eaten or sold or made to compost or something. You're never um, wasting products. So, you know, looking at the uh, grazing, um, pastures and in areas where you maybe your chicken feed maybe you're a small scale farmer you're an organic farmer and you want to have grazing land for your chickens you can do so they don't have to have um cage cage free um is a is a technical term but that's not all well and equal especially under the the gaze of the usda um here in the u.s uh, there's a library of terms, technical terms, um, in the agricultural space, but cage-free uh, is a term that is um, one that conjures up a lot of mixed feelings, because even I found out in some of the um, animal documentaries that I've I've watched, the cage free may mean that it's it's free for a, a bit of time, like the animal has some uh, outside roaming around space, but then uh, is back in their cage, or it's caged, but in you know maybe outside, or maybe a portion of it is not caged. But cage free should mean that it's it's range free, means that they should be able to be outside and be uh, uninhibited by cages. Uh, animals don't belong locked in, in under key, um, stored in, in barns that are open, um, technically not enclosed, but they deserve to have grazing um, opportunity and space and be, to be able to eat and be healthy. So you want to look at how your land is being um, sorted. You know, what's being done on the land? Is it just for the crops? Uh, are the um, where are your sinkholes, where are the uh, places where the poo and pee goes, like from the animals. Uh, for chickens, they can poo and pee in peace and they should be able to, on grass, and yet be able to um, use that same grass to feed and, you know, be as a chicken would, free and, and happy. And not have to worry about stepping on other chickens or getting in fights with other hens or you know, being plucked to death or eaten because they're stuck in a cage and they don't have land to just graze around. And number three is to improve animal health through feed supplements and veterinary care, and this thus increases livestock productivity. So for those, for the almost 2 billion people um, who do need animals to survive by way of their business, um, by way of them being a uh, livestock farmer, uh, by them using the animals to care for their land, um, they should be able to, and, and the more positive thing is to use uh, healthy, um, expensive or inexpensive feed supplements that take care of their animals if they are sick, and proper veterinary care. Um, there are horror stories um, in several documentaries I've seen where animals uh, have blisters and boils and are laying in their own feces. I've seen a few pictures of chickens and cows and pigs um, of them lying in their own feces or in dirt up to their knees and, you know, keeled over to the side, breathing heavily because they're not cared for. Goats, you know, other animals too in, this, in the documentary Dominion, uh, which you can see and it's available on YouTube um, before it gets shut down or anything. It's, it's widely available and I've seen all the different animals um, that have been essentially tortured um, and killed just for human consumption. And that scares me and that makes me, of course, um, not uh, be likely to want to go out and grab a burger or anything. I'm not fiending for that. I can live without it. It's okay. There are other food options out there, and uh, in, in, in one of the uh, food, uh, in one of the food 
um, podcast episodes I did recently about the food of the future and then another one about the 12 worst foods of the planet. I talked about the many foods I'll get to a little bit later that, um, you know, are so plentiful on the planet and yet, you know, uh, I haven't eaten them and I want to be eating them. It's okay for me to uh, wane off uh, meats or anything of the sort. It's okay. Like, it's, it's, it's not the end all be all. And um, to get people to think that way too, it will take some time, but it's, it's okay. Everyone will get there when they, when they get there, if they get there. Um, but when it comes to uh, animals, um, they should be cared for at every stage. And for those interested, Dominion is an excellent um, animal documentary. documentary um, and it is productive and it teaches so many different lessons, has celebrity narrators. They really paint the picture of what's happening all across the world in several um, different uh, developed countries and developing countries um, and what their lifestyle, um, lifestyles and um, dietary and cultural ties tend to look like when you're looking at um, how they treat your in- their animals and their livestock um, uh, heights that they meet. How many uh, pigs and goats and cows and chickens do they produce um, every single year, kill and every year and ship to other countries. There's a lot that's in that documentary, but we should look at animal health above all because, again, if people are eating uh, animals on a massive scale, you know, you want the animals to be healthy too, but if they're going through stress and, and having to fight for their lives while, while dodging and, and dipping, um, being, you know, um, uh, uh, plucked to death or um, having to be sliced open while being alive, like, or being, you know, shot in the, the head with a, with a stun gun, um, you know, that's not healthy. And it's, it's dangerous work. Um, all for um, lifestyle productivity, of course. And number four tip is to uh, introduce energy-efficient technologies like anaerobic digesters, which I'm a fan of, uh, which break down things like manure into biogas, and that's also a source for renewable energy. I love this because uh, using aerobic and anaerobic um, pathways and digestive methods uh, to break down things like compost or uh, even 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 uh, animal byproduct like poo manure into biogas is great any source to get us a reliable renewable energy I'm a fan of um, and I think biomass is great um, even though a lot of biomass if it's not wood it's other types of um, tree and plant products or um, scrap product, but a biomass, if it's not wood because we need our wood and we, we don't need to be chopping down trees just to make a renewable energy source, um, then I'm all um, on board with. And number five tip is to eat, uh, this one and the last one I've come up with myself, is to eat less and less meat steadily and, and over time do so. So be able to have a plan. It's okay to maybe eat meat, you know, once a, once a week, once a month. But you want to be able to wean off into the fact, you know, maybe you eat it every three months, every six months. And then you're like, you know what? I don't need meat. I don't need um, goat or lamb or, you know, pork or cow. It's a chicken. It's okay. Maybe you want to eat a fish every now and then. That's okay too. But as long as you are able to, over time, um, uh, stave off of it and, you know, wean yourself off like someone who's, you know, out of rehab, you know, they're making small changes too. You don't think that they want, you know, drugs every now and again? Sure, but they have the discipline, the tools, the support, and the know-how to say, you know what, I'm going to back away from that. It's not um, a, a life or death moment for me. And they had to battle with that consistently, um, you know, the rest of their life. Because if not, they'll relapse. And you don't want to relapse um, when you're trying to make a plan to, you know, maybe go vegetarian and maybe go vegan or uh, maybe be a better faster. Or uh, maybe you want to, um, you know, not eat as much meat for religious reasons. Whatever you want to do, um, there's no judgment. It's just you being a student and learning discipline learning self-control, learning moderation, learning 
you know what, it's it's okay for me to not get stomach cancer, I don't want to get uh, lung disease, I don't want to get brain cancer, I don't want to have reproductive issues down the line, all because, you know, I didn't want to say no to eating steak, um, you know, going out, you know, every Friday night, you know, every Saturday night for that, or I couldn't get enough McDonald's because it's cheap, accessible, and it is able to fill me up, but, you know, you're having problems later on and having stomach cancer, colon cancer, uh, you're having uh, issues with your kidneys, or you're not able to uh, have the best liver, um, you know, maybe you do and have, you know, other uh, vices, maybe you drink a lot, everything um, that you can think of is, is connected to you and your body at the end of the day when you think about it. So uh, you want to be able to have a plan, stick to it, and maybe it's going to take you a few months, a few years. But as long as you get there, that's the end goal. And then number six, last one, is to, if you want more, uh, I definitely have more podcast episodes specifically on food and meatless options too. I've talked about Beyond Burgers, Impossible Burgers, Tofurky. I did a review on Beyond Burgers and it's all uh, in the uh, podcast episodes I have. Um, you know, I've talked about Gardein, Tofurky, Field Rolls, Perfect Day, just a lot of different foods. Um, in, the twel- in the top uh, 12 Worst Foods for the Planet, episode 187, um, I did that back on um, September 6, 2020, and, and that one is the um, foods that are best for the planet and are plentiful. There's tons of foods that I've covered the world over that are amazing, beautifully um, done, the PDF information in the podcast episode, the description box, the show notes for you to check it out, you can share the PDF. Another podcast episode I did is The Food of Our Future, episode 140, and uh, that was from um, the um, date of March 26, 2020. It's about lab-grown meats, insects, seaweed. I'm all for the lab-grown meat. Again, that's foods like your Beyond Burgers, Impossible Burgers, and such. Insects, kind of wary of, but I'm, I could be on board for it as long as it's safe the planet. I'm all for it. Seaweed, it's pretty cool. I've eaten seaweed snacks. I did an uh, uh, eco company spotlight segment about one of my favorite seaweed snack companies. Good stuff there um, for anyone who's interested in seaweed. And I did another episode called A New Food Made from Carbon Dioxide uh, is a Game Changer for Our Food Future. That's episode 75, and that was from August 11th, 2019. And I talked about all the different foods, too, which you should uh, take a look at. Again, Perfect Day, Field Rose, Tofurky, Gardein, uh, Next Level, Impossible Burger, uh, umpteenth amount of foods, again, for you to go ahead and check out. The eco-fact of the day is that Congress passes the Great American Outdoors Act with large bipartisan support. The act will provide nearly $2 billion a year from oil and gas drilling and mining royalties for the Land and Water Conservation Fund and maintenance of national parks and other federal lands. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in a September-October 2020 issue. The Eco Company Spotlight segment is where I talk about all types of amazing companies that are environmentally focused and have products and services for you to enjoy. And they are varied. I've talked about different industries, whether they be beauty or fashion or different apps that make your life easier from recycling apps and such. I try to have a huge range of products and services from companies from all over in different countries, either in the U.S. or from Canada or in Central America, even on the African continent, just everywhere I can think of, Australia. I've talked about different companies from all over. And I try to make it fun and uh, easy for you to uh, find out where to contact these companies, to learn a bit, little bit more, and to also know their story. 
And one of the uh, companies we're going to talk about is an amazing one, one led by women. I've been doing a lot of, review, of reviews since February 2019, and I love, love, love this segment. It's super fun, and I get to talk about an amazing company that I've learned about. Some of the reviews and companies, I've definitely been invested in their companies and, and have a long track record with them. Others are new. Some, especially recently, I haven't uh, been able to do all the reviews because it's not like I have tons of money to burn to do all um, company reviews, but I try to, uh, with whatever I can find, uh, put together something uh, that is um, really um, great for you to check out and learn a bit more about the company and see if it speaks to you. So what we're going to talk about is another company called uh, SoCo. It is a woman-led company. It's their people-first ethical jewelry brand that focuses on tech and a manufacturing platform that builds a wider audience of artisans uh, from Kenya to uh, bridging the gap with the global market of all the people who want to, of course, buy their products. So women definitely uh, make this uh, app, make this website. Those who create, inspire, they uh, definitely do the job every day. They build a better future for themselves, their families, their communities. The co-founder and CEO is Ella Pianovich, and her products, the products are handmade, ethically sourced, and upcycled materials make up their products. And they're sold currently in over 64 countries, and they're designed in San Francisco and handcrafted responsibly in Kenya. Now, definitely SoCo is great with the sustainability because they have it on different fronts. Namely, one of the top ones is that they're a B Corp. So SoCo believes first in the power of good, uh, mainly balancing you know, profit and purpose. What drives SoCo? So with that, they put out the maximum positive benefit impact that they can as a B Corp. You know, as a B Corp, they build a more inclusive and max- maximum a sustainable economy. They provide and help solve social issues, environmental challenges, of course, that the world over faces today. So they're doing their part. They have the wood claimed from South Sudan with trees of about 50 years old or so, and their partner ensures that they are practicing sustainable uh, sustainably with future harvests. They use reclaimed uh, horn and bone, a cow horn and their uh, bone products as well are from ankle uh, lang- longhorn cattle. It's a breed native to the Rift Valley of East Africa and which uh, also has that horn and that bone become a byproduct of the food industry. They use it well. They use recycled brass and silver and with that, um, it's created from a recycled uh, brass that they chrome plate in a, a silver colored finish. And they also have ceramic beads, which they use, which are fair trade, from a renowned uh, fair trade women's collective in Kenya. They also do collaborations with different organizations and brands, uh, namely the three that I saw on the website. One of them is with the uh, United Nations Trust Fund to End Violence Against Women, UNTF. And then there's the Kazuri um, by uh, Soko, so that's supporting single mothers and the artisan communities in Kenya with their latest collaboration with Kazuri. And then there's the one uh, with uh, Natalie Borton. It's minimalist handcrafted jewelry inspired by self-love. There are many different products uh, on the Soko uh, website, uh, namely their bracelets, brass items, they have earrings, necklaces, rings. They have different sections where you can search specifically for brass items, wood, uh, horn and bone or mixed materials. They have gifts and products under $100. They have sale items. They have their partnerships of which I mentioned those um, um, currently that they have and they have bestseller items and more now I haven't experienced buying Soko but I should have um, especially in early 2020 but I've been keeping my eye on them for about one or two years now and I want to be um, buying a few of their products namely um, the the earrings that they have the dangle ones or the ones that drop or the spiky ones I haven't seen too many spiky earrings in a long time 
and those ones that they have on the website are super cute. Um, I love a good bracelet. I'm, I'm a fan of bracelets and um, I'm a fan of earrings for sure. Um, necklaces are, you know, give or take. I mean, I already have a necklace that I wear all the time and it's a an angel pendant, but you know, for me to layer on necklaces, that's okay. I could definitely do that. So I have my eye on um, the Kazuri Lariat necklace, which is $88 and in the style berry and in the Kazuri Ripple Link uh, bracelet, which also is $88 and that's also in berry. So I have a few things I definitely buy from the, from the Soko shop and will be buying from the Soko shop. Um, so I love, love, first of all, that Soko has different suppliers that focus on materials that support the women uh, economically and in their communities. You know, the, the necklaces that I want to buy, the Kazuri line, you know, that's supporting uh, women and ending, you know, violence among them. And, and, and uh, also, well, not that one, the, the, the United Nations Trust Fund um, to End Violence Against Women, that line, uh, um, those products do that but the one I'm supporting uh, with you know wanting to get those necklaces supports single women and the artisans in Kenya so I love that they partnered with Kazuri and that with buying um, firsthand those products I'm able to support those women you know the fact that you know Soko has partnered with other brands and organizations is a brilliant way to impact positively and they they've done so and I hope that they continue to do so um, and I love that no piece no two pieces are the same and that there are wait lists for their jewelry releases, namely with the uh, Natalie uh, Barton uh, collaboration that I talked about. There's a current wait list for it. So uh, maybe after this podcast episode in some months or years, maybe it, of course, won't be on the wait list. But that just shows you the interest behind um, their products and people wanting to, you know, get the emails and notifications of when those pieces releases. That That's a good thing. Um, I love that their pieces, all of them vary. So, you know, they have a whole section of sale items, you know, less than $100 for those who are maybe skeptical or maybe um, wanting to dip their foot in the Soko pond and maybe want to buy something small and then work their way up because they have pieces that are a little bit um, more expensive than $100, like, you know, $150, $200 plus. So whatever uh, price point you can muster, it's totally fine. Um, you know, these pieces are great, I think, as a statement piece or for an individual outfit or series of outfits for the evening as a gift. I know there's some pieces I could definitely see myself giving, you know, to f- family or friends or suggesting that they buy, you know, from this amazing company. Um, just for any occasion that you see yourself getting dressed up uh, with, with some uh, amazing, st- amazing sustainable jewelry. It's it's a win-win, and for that I give them a five out of five green thumbs up. I can't see anything bad uh, with their company. I love it, and that they're empowering Kenyans and Kenyan women uh, to make jewelry, to have skills, and to uh, support themselves and their families and their communities is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, the fact that uh, they can be found in a number of places is really positive. Soko definitely can be found uh, in different stores and online, mainly online though. You can catch them at their shop, uh, shopsoko.com. That's shop, S H O P S O K O.com. Also, shopbop.com, Dress Barn, also Nordstrom. And Soko can be found on the following social media platforms of Facebook at Soko, S-O-K-O, Instagram at Shop Soko, they're on LinkedIn at Soko, they're on Pinterest at Shop Soko, they're on Twitter at Soko, and they're also on YouTube at Soko. I recently subscribed to their YouTube channel. Now to contact Soko, just check them out at ShopSoko.com and check out the top of their website under Contact Us to email them or message them directly. All right, everyone. So I hope that this podcast episode made you think about things, made you think about your food, made you uh, maybe be skeptical of what some of these companies are doing to influence uh, food, eating patterns, and, you know, marketing, or even, uh, you know, looking at the scale of how our planet is going to change in a number of decades to come. You know, 2050 is going to be here by the time you blink your eyes and our population is going to swell to an enormous proportion. So what are we going to think about? What are we going to do? What are we going to focus on? How are we going to fix 
a world hunger on a larger scale. You know, are you going to give it meat? Are you going to slow down eating meat? Are you going to maybe, you know, not heed any advice? You know, pick and choose. Um, for someone who uh, maybe is concentrated or more, more focused on farm activities, you know, maybe you want to uh, look at this podcast episode, you know, more deeply. Maybe you want to try and find that Cersei's 2030 report, um, you know, I couldn't find it. Uh, even though I checked on the page, definitely for the um, the the trio of uh, all those involved, you know, it's it just shows you just the power of information. But just trying to find it can be such a daunting task, and I don't know where it disappeared to. But nonetheless, uh, I love that I was able to uh, talk about food during this episode. I I do have a number of podcasts about food. And I want to make more, of course, in the future, you know, um, once there are a spotlight on uh, certain different types of food groups mainly or like foods that are strange or the foods that you have to be aware of. Maybe there's a, a health scare or something tied to a particular type of food or maybe it's going to be scarce in the future and you might as well get on to eating it um, if you can, when you can and if it's available where you are. But I really enjoyed this podcast episode and talking about so much in the Mother Earth Minutes. I really went um, overboard with the commentary a little bit. Like, I usually don't talk for 15 minutes plus in the commentary. Um, but I, f- I figured to just talk about all my feelings and what I feel in different points to, you know, make you ponder, make you think too. So um, thank you for always listening and checking back. You know, I see all the numbers of people uh, listening and I'm so thankful. And I love that every one of you have, you know, thought to, um, you know, listen to the podcast in their entirety and to share them as well. That means so much. Thank you so much. I love each and every one of you. It like warms my heart every time I get on the mic and uh, bring up and start another podcast episode and, you know, try to uh, put together something that is meaningful and thoughtful and has resources for you to explore and to share with others. It really is what what I'm focused on. Uh, For those who uh, would love to support their podcast even more. Um, definitely there are ways to do that. Um, you know, it helps me support um, different various giveaways. Merch is what I want to start on in the future. I'm not sure when, but something that I am focused on. Um, and there are different price points of which you can uh, support the uh, Green Thoughts uh, podcast here. You can go to anchor.fm forward slash Green Thoughts podcast and there are different tiers. Uh, 99 cents per month. $4.99 per month and $9.99 per month. Uh, you can go click support for that information. Thank you for all those who are already uh, supporters. And uh, having my uh, first supporter recently, it's, it's warmed me and I can't wait to talk about it uh, so much more in future episodes and again uh, a little bit later in another podcast episode. But uh, she has my warm regard. She's amazing. Uh, heart to heart, I give her all my love, uh, and you know, having the support is like a thousand times as great, um, you know, because it takes you know many hours and sometimes days to do episodes. But I try to put my all into it and make it really fun and engaging and uh, something that you all can be proud of and to share. So until next time with another podcast episode, please be sure to take care of yourselves and to please take care of the planet. See ya.